Well, um, it's funny when um, I first spoke to Brock, uh, he asked me about this. Uh, he mentioned uh, Carmen Sandiego because every time that I've talked to Brock, I was in uh, different states at the time. I think the first time he reached out, um, I was in um, Minneapolis. Um, is that right, Brock? I was in Minneapolis. Um, I don't know if anybody hasn't been paying attention, but there's a little bit of unrest happening across the country right now. Um, and in our context, in our neighborhood, in our community, in Lexington, uh, we've been getting hit pretty hard. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. This year has been an interesting year for us. Um, we lost a young man that we were connected to um, due to gun violence. Um, he was in his room playing video games. And then someone was targeting somebody else and shot through his apartment and killed him. Uh, a couple months later, we lost another, another young man to gun violence because um, his friends thought it was cool to play with a gun and they accidentally pulled the trigger and he lost his life. Um, and then around the country, we've, we've seen um, what happened in, uh, with Ahmaud Arbery, with George Floyd, with Breonna Taylor and many others. Um, so for us, it's been interesting to cry out to God and, and ask what he's doing. Um, for some of us, it feels all too familiar uh, with what we see in our communities. Um, and there's been a lot of pain attached to it. So before we get in too further, uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll jump in. God, we thank you for who you are. Despite what happens around us, um, you're steadfast, uh, but most of all, you're sovereign. Um, you're the God over us, and you're the God over everything. Um, God, everything that you've created bears your imprint. Um, and God, as we read through Genesis and understand who we are, and we read through Ephesians and, and realize that you are a, a master craftsman and you created a masterpiece in us, a masterpiece that is incredibly beautiful. Multiple shades of you um, are part of that masterpiece. We all have your DNA in us, uh, and all of us have that value. And God, I pray that um, as a people, as a church, that we will open our eyes to see um, your image bears when we see somebody else. Be with us in this message this morning. Be with us in this time. Um, and we ask that uh, you bless us, you open our eyes, you open our ears, you open our hearts to what you might have to say to us today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, I met Brock years ago when I was leading a sports ministry at Emerald Youth Foundation. Um, I grew up in Knoxville, Knoxville, born and raised. Um, my family's over here, my mom, dad, my sister. Um, then 
my son, Micah, my daughter, Amaya, my wife, Audra, and um, my other son, Michael, and mother's daughter, Chloe, are over there. Um, and, but, but growing up in Knoxville, there were some things that I didn't recognize until I got a little bit older. Um, to see how many people love the game of soccer was nothing that I ever assumed when I was growing up. I grew up in East Knoxville. That part of Knoxville is what, what I often heard. Um, and I never saw a soccer ball unless it was in a store or on a TV. Um, I didn't see soccer until we went to one of my brother's football games out in West Knoxville and drove by and saw all of these kids outside kicking this ball around. And I was like, what in the world are they doing? It was a new concept for me because that's not what was, what was around me. Around me was baseball, basketball, and football. Those were the only sports that mattered. Um, I grew up in a community that predominantly looked like me. Elementary school, uh, predominantly black school. Middle school, predominantly black. High school, predominantly black. My first year of college, predominantly black. And um, I was always around people that understood my language, thought similar things to me, believed similar things to me, experienced similar things to me. Um, and then God wrecked me um, by putting me in situations that were far different from my upbringing. Now, my upbringing was a good upbringing. I uh, had loving parents, uh, have loving parents, they're still here. Um, and more importantly, they taught me to love people no matter what. Um, and so I learned that from them. But, but that was a challenge for me once I got out of a context that was familiar to me. Um, I, went to, I left my freshman year of, of college and went to a different college. One from the first college was one where I was just like or very much like a lot of people that went there to another college where I was one of seven African-Americans on a college campus. Take that back. I was one of seven black people on a campus, not African-American. Um, and that culture shock just kind of did some things to me that I couldn't quite figure out. Um, I suddenly became the spokesperson for all people black. Um, often got questions about what it was like to live in the hood. Uh, what it was like to live in the projects. I didn't live in the projects. Uh, my family still lives in the house that I grew up in. Um, there's Section 8 housing around us, but I didn't grow up in the projects. Um, what's it like to, to, live in, to, to be in a gang? I don't know. I was never in a gang. Um, so there are things that people assume about us, just like I assumed about other people, um, based on their context and their culture. Um, and so those things pushed me and nagged me and to the point even angered me because a lot of things were put on me that were not of me. I remember one time I was, I was in a bad mood going to class one day, and I told this story recently. Uh, I, was in a, I was in a pretty bad mood. I, I was a commuter to campus because I didn't want to go. I was already living in a, or going to a school in a different context around people that didn't look like me. Um, it was like, I'm not ready to live with those people yet. Can't do that. So I stayed at home, but I commuted every day to, to class. And one day I, I, I was running late, 
um, and made it to campus, got to class, walked in and sat down because, again, I was in a bad mood, didn't want to talk to anybody, so I just sat by myself. A lot of my friends that were, I played basketball at Johnson, a, lot of, a couple of my teammates were in that class with me, um, but a bunch of people around me were talking and chit-chatting before class got started. And one of them called my name and said something to me, and so I turned, and, they, and I responded to what they said, and I laughed. I didn't really speak anything, I just laughed. But I was called out for being disruptive in class. Didn't say a word from the time I walked in. And at that point, and I'm, I never told my mom this, I lost it and went off on this, on this professor um, because that professor was also the one that would ask me about being in a gang. Same professor that asked me about um, what, it, what it felt like to grow up in the hood. Um, I don't have answers for those things because I didn't live that life. Um, my gang were my cousins and my brothers and my sister. That was my gang. That was my family. Um, yeah, if you crossed any one of us, we're, we were going to come after you, but um, that we, I didn't have that understanding of what gang life was, and for people to assume that about me, maybe because my skin color, um, that was pretty infuriating for me. But one of the things I did come to realize was this skin color also brought other attention to me. Um, there have been a few times when I've had a gun pulled on me um, by law enforcement. I've never uh, smoked any illegal substances in my life. Uh, never been arrested for drinking and driving or anything like that. Never had any trouble with the law. But because um, I was driving a car that they felt like I, was, I couldn't afford, or I was, it was too nice for me, it was a Mazda MX-3, it was a little tiny hatchback. Um, they thought that I was driving a car that I stole. Um, another point, I had dropped keys in front of me, reached down to pick up my key, and the officer pulled a gun on, gun on me for that because he thought I was reaching for a weapon. Um, the flip side of that is in Lexington, with what I do, we have a lot of relationships with people in city government um, and even law enforcement. I have the chief of police on my speed dial. He's a great man. That still does not um, prevent me from checking everything when I see a police car near me because it's so ingrained in, in what I've experienced and what I've seen and what I've heard. I'm not one to tell you that all police are bad. That's not what I believe at all. But a lot of people that look like me get experiences uh, that are not, not often, not always um, appropriate. And I feel like we need to make sure that we address that. Um, I'm not going to get too much into things like that, but I do want us to look at a few scriptures before I bring up uh, some of my family to talk about how our context looks. If you have your Bibles or your devices, um, we're going to start out in Luke chapter 10, and we're going to listen into um, some smart Alex that stepped up to Jesus. Starting at verse 25, it says this, 
One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. But again, this is a smart aleck that wanted to kind of trip Jesus up. So he said, the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Then Jesus replied with this story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. So all is well and good at this point. The priest showed up, he's going to fix the situation. That's not what happened, obviously. When he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his donkey, and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man, and if the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, now go and do the same. Um, when we are around kids in our context in Lexington, we walk in and we put our L's up like this for a couple of reasons. The first is this. When I, when I put my L's up, your job is to look and your job is to listen. Because if you look and listen, you will stop paying attention to what's happening around you. You will focus on the person that's in front of you speaking. That gets their attention, they understand it. We don't get in front of kids and just yell at them to shut up and all that kind of stuff. We just put our L's up and we wait. Because at some point they're gonna look and they're gonna listen. But also, the young leaders in the room are gonna catch on to what's happening. They're gonna put their L's up as well and make sure that their friends around them get it, okay? But the second reason, the most important reason why we do that is to remind them that their job is to love God with their heart soul, mind, and strength, and to love their neighbor as their self. Um, as we do that, we have to remind our kids who their neighbors are. Thankfully, we live in an environment where um, we have a lot of neighbors that don't look like us. Um, it is probably the closest glimpse of heaven that I've, that I've seen anywhere because of all the different shades of Jesus that are in our presence. But we constantly tell our kids who our neighbors are and that we are made in his image, every single one of us. 
but sometimes that doesn't quite get it and we have to take it a step further. To help me take it a step further, I'm going to ask some of my family to come up and join us um, and we're going to continue this conversation. So, Audra Patrick, Michael Overstreet, Chloe Martin, come on up and join us. And we're going to sit down because that's just how we do. I'll welcome them to the stage. All right, so I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves, and as they do this, they're also going to share kind of their context of how they got to this point. Michael's nervous, and so he's upset that he thought he was going to have to talk first. I'm Audra Patrick. Um, I have been blessed to be married to this man for almost 18 years. Um, I was probably one of those people that rocked his <laughs> world in a much different way, I hope. Um, but I am originally from Indiana. I grew up in a very white, white town. Um, in fact, I don't even remember anyone of a different color going to school with me um, throughout my entire 12 years of high school, or not high school, but all through uh, graduation of high school. Um, still very white town, um, very, very white thinking, um, to the point where my mama, who was, my mama was my person. Um, she was, man, she was just my person. That's all I can say right now. Um, after Marcus and I started dating, and I brought him up to meet the family and all of that, her response was, you know you can find a guy just as great as Marcus that's white, right? My response was, if he's that great, then why does it matter? And that was pretty much the end of the conversation. Um, but that was how they grew up. That was what they thought. There was no one around to teach anything differently. Um, so yeah, I grew up white town, came to school at Johnson, which again, as Marcus said, was mostly white. Um, but thankfully, I met him and before we even started dating, we became friends and I pretty much said, get me off this campus. <laughs> And so he started taking me to Emerald, um, and that just opened my eyes and my doors to even more beauty that God had created, um, getting to learn and be around people that, one, didn't grow up in a small farm town, um, but grew up in a city, and so that brings a whole different aspect to it. But then people that didn't look like me, didn't grow up like me, um, that was a huge growing opportunity for me. Um, and then we moved to Lexington, and like Marcus said, we get to live in a little glimpse of heaven, I guess. Um, and along the way, we have had our two biological kids, and then we've had all of our God-given kids um, along the way, and these are two of them. Good morning, guys. Ooh, I'm about to be loud. Okay. <laughs> this is a normal day for me. <laughs> um, I'm Chloe Martin, like they said. Um, I'm one of their probably hundreds of kids that claim these guys as parents. 
Um, and like they said before, I work with Marcus at the Lexington Leadership Foundation. Um, but a little bit about my background. Um, I was homeschooled, so obviously I grew up with me and my sister. Um, and we just kind of went to different co-ops. Everybody looked like us um, and kind of thought the same way we did. And um, the ironic part about me being homeschooled is I had a lot of time on my hands to get into some interesting things and meet some people that weren't like me. Um, and that um, included Marcus and Audra and Urban Impact. And funny enough, I met them at Kings Island. Um, and they had just kind of settled into Lexington and I was hanging out with the Salvation Army and our church at the time. Um, and I was very, very hungry to meet new people, to make friends and kind of get out of my bubble in a sense. Um, and they were that for me. And so I've been rocking with them for a decade plus and I'm hoping to stick around for a long time. <laughs> um, but yeah, just my whole world is very much, um, has been changed because of them and exposing me to different cultures, different people, and um, I ended up following in their footsteps. Um, and I went to Johnson as well um, and kind of did what I could to rock the boat there in the sense of diversity and culture and inclusion, um, starting different groups, including different people, um, got involved with Emerald, um, some of my girls is over there, um, and I forevermore am just kind of invested in extending the kingdom um, wherever I am and, and making sure that that is including of all people, not just someone that looks like myself. I don't know how to follow y'all. Hello, good morning everyone. Um, my name is Michael. I am from Lexington, just like Chloe is. Um, my, growing up, I grew up in a home with mom, dad, brothers, in a neighborhood where everyone looked like me. Uh, it was a very under-resourced area, so it was considered the hood. Um, my parents uh, tried their best to put me in places um, and opportunities within school, magnet programs, things like that, just to help, uh, just provide just some additional resources and support um, as we're uh, navigating through things. Um, Grew up, had a church family pretty much from the time I was born. Um, my father was actually a minister at the church that we were attending at the time. Um, and so as we're growing up and attending school, um, some of the influences that were happening and the struggles and challenges that people were facing in, in our neighborhood started to filter its way into our home. Um, as I was growing up, I saw my uh, father start to develop um, an alcohol addiction. Um, and then as the years progressed, he eventually um, had to, went through drug abuse as well. Um, and that carried through our family for um, many years. Um, and it was very, very hard for all of us. Um, we all had different ways of coping. Um, for my mom, it was essentially retreating in her own way and trying to find out um, kind of what to do with all this craziness that has ensued. Um, and so um, as I as we got older, it was a, a pretty much me as the old eldest of the three who grew up in our home who had to kind of just take care um, of my younger brothers and do the best that we can um, to just keep a hold of everything. Um, and so as I was growing, as I was learning, I did everything I, get, I could to just reject uh, what was happening around me. I actually tried to just hide that I would go to school and not let anyone know of anything that was transpiring 
um, because I didn't want anyone to know that part of me. It was important that people didn't because I didn't want them to see me differently, um, especially since in a lot of the classes that I was taking, not everyone looked like me. And so I didn't want anyone to have an excuse or, um, or I was just, just experiencing a lot of shame and didn't want that to be a distraction. I wanted everyone to think and pretty much believe that I was experiencing the same privileges of them even though I, it wasn't exactly happening. Um, and so years go down, we have, as the years have progressed, we've kind of distanced from the church family naturally uh, because of everything that had occurred. But there was one person who uh, always kept in, ch- uh, who kept in ch- touch. Um, that was our youth minister at the time and his name was Aaron. And so he asked me one summer um, to attend this summer arts camp, uh, me and my brother actually. Um, and so I was like, okay, let's do this. And that's where I met um, my family here. Um, it was hosted by Urban Impact at a church, and um, that's where I, where I met these guys. And it was here where our uh, family really just started, for me, a lot of things started to develop. Um, as I got to know them, we, they discipled us. Um, they helped me just, not only did they help provide just support, resources, encouragement, they helped me see a few things. One, um, by being able to embrace uh, where you come from, who you are, what your experiences are. Um, it can be used for God's glory because with the communities and people that we work with from all backgrounds, um, there's some things you might be able to relate to. Um, and by being able to sit in that, um, you might be able to provide, you are able to, I am able to help the families and the kids that we're working with see that they are not, <sighs> sorry, that they are not where they come from if they're going through difficult challenges, that they actually have the power and the resources and the giftings to go into the same communities um, and speak that life um, into others. Um, And so that is what I gained from this family. Um, Continued through life, I actually moved to New Jersey um, to to get my bachelor's degree in intercultural communications, uh, where I got to serve as president of the student body. Um, and now I work with these guys at Lexington Leadership Foundation through our initiative called AMACHI, which is a one-on-one mentoring program for children and youth who've been impacted by incarceration or other challenges. Um, and so it was naturally fitting that I would take that position because mentorship is literally the thing uh, that changed my life. So that's me. <clears throat> so welcome to our little family. Um, one of the, the goals for us is um, to see people as God created them. Um, each of the people that are on this stage um, are image bearers of, of, of Christ. And our goal is to find out how God wired them, develop those giftings, um, and release that. Um, and release that in a manner that reminds or introduces Christ to kids and families so that they can live out that same, that same experience. Um, one of the challenges, though, is we are faith-based people, but the church has done some damage in communities. And we have to correct that. We have to call out those things and we have to correct it. Um, there is a, I'm not sure if many of you have heard it, but there's a term called the white savior. And what that looks like is going into communities with well intentions to rescue people in communities. 
Now, we all want people to know who Jesus is, um, but oftentimes we assume that Jesus isn't already in the picture. Um, God has been sovereign before we ever stepped on this earth. He exists in every community. And to assume that um, because of the, a culture that we come from, that we are going to show up and save someone um, in a situation probably is not the best route to take, okay? Um, and so that's, that's what, we want, what we try to do is, is make sure that we, we encourage our churches that we're connected with to say, all right, these one-time events that you show up in this neighborhood and then you go back to your own neighborhood, uh, it's good, great job, but where are you going to be the next night? Where are you going to be when um, this dad is addicted to drugs? Uh, how are you going to show up for this family then? Uh, we've had to challenge some churches because uh, routine is good when you show up on the same night every week to a neighborhood. But when you leave when the lights go down and when the gunfire happens or when something bad happens, who do these kids turn to? Hopefully they turn to Jesus and turn to people that they trust. But if the church leaves in the midst of the chaos... Our families lose trust in who shows up on a Monday bringing toilet paper and and snacks, okay? So we have to, as a church, correct those things and make sure that we call out those things. Uh, The other part is this, and this has been one of the challenges for me, um, is when events happen to populations of people, we expect the church to speak up and speak out because... Um, if we look at, and we're going to look at a couple of scriptures, the first one I want us to look at is Micah chapter 6, verse 8. And there's some questions that came before this, this verse, uh, but then it says, No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. He requires this of us, to do what is right. What, what does right mean? Um, these days, right has a few different connotations depending on what political party or what denomination you go to or blah, blah, blah. We have our own ideas of what's right, but if we look at the scripture and what God says we have a better understanding of what right looks like. Love mercy. Not just love mercy, show mercy. Be merciful. And to walk humbly with your God. Um, So I'm going to ask this question of um, my family up here. What What does just look like? What is justice? Am I allowed to step on toes this morning, Pops? Well, uh, yeah. I heard a go ahead from somewhere. Am I allowed to step Somebody on said toes? go ahead, so. Um, uh, first of all, justice to me is um, arresting cops that uh, murdered Breonna Taylor in my state. Um, that is, that's my statement right now as well. Um, 
justice in our community is, um, is, is showing up um, without any expectations that you're going to receive something else. Um, justice is the opportunity, period. Having an opportunity, for one, um, but amplifying a voice that may, you might not even agree with. Um, justice is um, not trying to stand before someone or even beside someone, but lifting that person up um, so that they can see as well. Um, people have, you know, had different conversations recently about equity versus equality and things like that. And to me, um, you know, it, we could have just had Marcus talk to you, right? But he wanted all of us to share. Um, and so that's him amplifying our voices. And um, I think personally that's my goal for the young people that I work with, the families that I work with. Um, justice is um, that they can wake up in the morning and know that they don't have to be afraid to walk to the bus. Um, justice is knowing that um, you know a 14-year-old, 15-year-old boy doesn't all of, ha all of a sudden have to help pay mortgage because we're in a pandemic and people are afraid that his Hispanic mom will get them sick. Um, it's just, it's the opposite of hate, honestly, um, for me. All right, I'm gonna ask Michael a different question. All right. What does is, what is walking in humility look like to you? I would say walking in humility is knowing that you have a gift or a thing um, that is good or a privilege or um, a number of things um, that are positive, good, um, lift you, support you, um, and not needing to boast that in the presence who might not have that, um, but using it to help others who may have difficulty finding that in themselves um, and drawing that out of them. I see walking in humility um, as knowing that Jesus did the same, and Jesus was all-powerful, um, and even so, he died on the cross for all of us to continue one, to have life everlasting, but two, to continue his mission and his work. That image of Jesus is what humbles me every time because he could have done so many things with that power as son of man. And yet he walked around just like you and me. And he spread the word of God. He healed the sick. He loved mercy. And that's what walking in humility is to me. Um, another one of the verses that I wanted us to focus on, and this is kind of the main one, comes out of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 1, um, verse 17. And it says, learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of orphans, and fight for the rights of widows. There's a lot in that, in that small verse about what we should do. Um, but the first word in there says learn. 
Before we can do good, we need to learn. We need to learn about the people around us. Um, I've known um, many folks in the Whitestone Church for a while um, and have recognized some, some beautiful people that have been adopted out of the country of Haiti. And, um, and I love that, um, that these young people have a different perspective. They might have been in situations that were troubling, um, might not have had uh, a home with, with, with parents. Whatever that case is, they get a different, different shot at life now. But has it been easy? I want to ask that of my, my extended church family. Has it been easy for your family to welcome someone that is different from you? Um, did you ever imagine that your children would be exposed to um, what America has kind of been to a lot of other people that don't look like you? Um, Audra, what do you feel like it means when it says to learn? Close your mouth. <laughs> um, close your mouth, open your ears. Everyone has a story. Um, God is amazing in the way that he makes no two people alike. None of us have walked the same path. Um, even in my house growing up, I had a brother and a sister. Same raising, but our stories are completely different. Um, some similarities, of obviously, but our walks, our paths are totally different. Um, and God has created it that way. Learning a lot is telling your story. Um, but not just telling your story, it's listening to other people's story. And listening with the intent of gaining new perspective. Um, not just listening so you can have a rebuttal. Not just listening so you can say, okay, I heard you, we're done now, we're in a good place, it's settled. Um, but asking specific questions, asking, I mean, we've got 30 plus different nationalities in our neighborhood. So we walk into the community center and we've talked about the beauty of it. While many of those kids have been born in the US, um, their parents were not. And they're still raised with a lot of their culture. Um, We've got some families, we've been doing some lunches for the last, well, we're going on 20 weeks of feeding lunches. Um, and we've got some families that are like, that's American food and we don't eat that. So it's, it's still in their house of where they grew up. Like you walk into their house and you see, um, gosh, just the beauty of each culture in each house. Um, pictures, the memorabilia, the, um, just the decor of everything makes up the country where they're from and they have a story. Um, so a lot of what we do in learning is asking, like, what does your house look like? Tell me about your house. Tell me about how your parents grew up. Um, in conversations with parents, it's tell me what life was like for you until you moved to the U.S. and tell me what it looks like now. Um, what are similarities? What are differences? What do you want me to know about you? Um, 
and obviously we don't have time to sit down and listen from birth into where they're at of every detail. But when you hear, when you tell your story, you give out the important parts. You give out what people want to know about you. Like Michael said earlier, like sometimes he tried to hide that, but now he knows that that's part of his story. So learning is listening. Um, learning is embracing where people come from and not assuming that just because, well, you don't live in that country now or you don't live in that city now or whatever, that's still a huge part of you in embracing who you're from and learning more about that culture. I don't need that. I got, got my own mic. Um, <laughs> could you pass that down to Michael for me? Michael, um, there was a moment in, in somewhere in the last 19 weeks of us serving meals, because this pandemic has gone on forever. Um, there was a moment when a mom showed up to, to humbly ask for some food or some help with, for her family. Could you describe that from your perspective of what went down? Sure. Um, so mom's coming, coming up to ask for, for help. She doesn't speak much English at all, actually very little to none, actually. And so you can see in her trying to communicate this need, she felt very uncomfortable, um, tense, because now she's trying to not only use words that she's not as familiar with to try and communicate, um, but she's also having to humbly ask for something. So there's a lot happening emotionally, I imagine. And visually, you can see there's a struggle. Um, and I wasn't exactly there immediately, but as I, I walked up, um, I just asked her um, in Spanish, how can I help? And um, immediately you can kind of, you could see a wave of relief from her um, that someone was there who speaks her language. Um, and that meant a lot to her because, first of all, that first layer is gone of having to, this language barrier is now gone, um, but now she feels connected um, to even more connected to our services and resources because she's able to convey um, in the language that she was in her native language. Um, so that's yeah. what we experienced. So in that, um, what we learned was this mom was terrified to ask something in a language that she was not familiar with. Um, but once she felt like she was heard and understood, her countenance dropped and she was able to open up. So much so that one day she came and she was walking up the sidewalk and she had a bag full of pastries with her because she was so appreciative of Michael stepping in and, and bringing her some relief that she wanted to bring thanks to the rest of us. Um, there was an exchange of just of life. Um, and, and when we see things like that, we're able to make connections with people um, and, you know, this summer has been very interesting for us because at this point we'd probably be, probably be exhausted from doing multiple weeks of camp with kids. Um, but we decided we were going to do street camps where we would show up on one street where these kids were quarantined together and do camp with them. Then we go to a different street. Well, when we show up on this street where this mom um, lives, she comes out and she brings popsicles to all the kids that are out there. She plays games with us. Um, it's one extended family because she felt heard and felt seen one day. 
as a church, we have to make sure that we listen and do the work of learning of the people around us. It's one thing to um, be the, the first responders to a situation. Maybe you are going to Haiti and you're adopting a child um, and you're that first response of relief for that child, bringing them out of that. But your job doesn't stop there with, with that first response of, of saving them or pulling them out of that situation. If you're going to render aid, you need to continue to learn about that child, learn about that family, so that that child understands who they are, where they come from, how God created them. Also, so that you can develop your own new family with them. Learn their culture as you teach them your, learn their culture as you teach them your culture. Beyond that, you need to learn the rest of the culture that happens here because many times uh, those brown-skinned babies that come from Haiti, when they show up in the United States, there's many people that look at them and assume that they're just black. And so there's another layer that comes along with their upbringing now that is thrown on them. They're oftentimes put in situations and they might hear some words or see some things that are out of context for them because that's not who they were, but now they have a, that other layer laid on, on top of them, and we make, need to make sure that we communicate that and understand that from them. Um, Chloe, what does it look like to render continuous aid to families? Um, I would say in our context, um, which is funny because the very beginning of this pandemic, we did a first aid training online, and um, the lady had told us through Zoom that if there's a lot of blood, you just got to put a lot of pressure on it and hold it down until it's not bleeding anymore. And I think a lot of people think, oh, I can't see the blood anymore. I'm going to walk away and, and take that pressure off. And then immediately, it's not clotting anymore. There's more blood coming out, and you might lose that person. Um, and I think that's, Marcus touched on it before, of a lot of times churches or different organizations will say, today's the day, we're going to do this big event, or we're going to, you know, put all these resources out there, and it's amazing, and we happen to have called the news, and, you know, all these things, and it's like, yes, we just helped you, and then we go away, and then that, those resources are immediately gone, and the, and the lights and the cameras are gone, and that relationship that you might have formed with someone that day is gone, um, and it's almost counterproductive. Some of those things are great, and we, we do different things as well where we kind of come in and, and help maybe um, annually or, you know, semi-annually, things like that. But um, for us personally, um, we can't walk down any sidewalk in our community and not see someone that we know. It is almost impossible. And if we don't know them, my goodness, we're going to find out who you are. Um, or at least I am because I'm nosy. But... Um, it's, it's one of those things of, for me, I'm a, I'm a growing human being. I didn't just stop learning and growing when I got baptized. I didn't stop growing and learning when I graduated high school or college. Um, same with them. They, can't, they cannot be our parents or be our leaders if they've just all of a sudden stunted their own growth because I'll reach that with them as, at some point. And they talk a lot about, you know, they're, they're the ceiling, but it's a moving ceiling in a way. You have to keep you know, adjusting with the times, adjusting with your growth, things like that. And um, a lot of my young people are light years ahead of me already because 
I'm able to be humble enough to say, I don't know, or let's figure it out together. Um, and so, yes, feeding people or rendering aid in that, in that way or having after-school programs or um, doing mentorship programs, things like that. But at the end of the day, looking someone in the eye and being able to understand who they are and they understand who you are goes a million miles farther than, you know, handing them a sack lunch one good time. Um, I could go on and on about that, but I, I think, you know, that it just kind of speaks to who we are. I want to add to it also. Um, the events, those are just the vehicle to get to know people. Those, those are your opportunities and your doors in. That's the easy way. Um, the relationship is what matters. Um, and it goes beyond just putting a Band-Aid on it, like Chloe was saying. It goes into to teaching. Like, how do you... If this is an ongoing thing of by the end of the month you run out of money, let's, let's work on a budget. Let's teach a budget. Let's teach, you know, some employ, employability skills. Let's teach how to be more sustainable because in the end they're going to use that knowledge and turn around and teach others. That's how I learned um, a lot of things in my life is because other people taught me I didn't, I didn't grow up knowing how to do a budget. I didn't, you know, you just live off your parents and then, and then all of a sudden you're out on your own and you're like, oh shoot, I don't have any money left, what do I do? And somebody else came in and taught me like how to do a budget. A lot of times churches go in again, they bring the fun, they bring the snacks, and then that's it. They may build a relationship, but a lot of times it's just to say, oh, I know somebody that lives there. I know, yeah, oh yeah, I'm connected to, the, to that community because I go there every now and then. We're in that building relationship. Um, I mean, God calls us into community. God calls us to grow. We have to do that with one another. Um, but we can't just go in and say, oh, here's your, here's your problem. Let's Let's throw a lunch at you today, and then that will fix what you need. That doesn't fix anything. That is, that is just the start of the process of teaching sustainability. Um, so in those things, that context of learning is crucial for all of us. Um, and we're going to close up soon and ask Brock to jump, come up and join us for a moment. Um, but that specific verse, learn to do good, um, Seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of orphans, and fight for the rights of widows. Um, there's, we, we're enamored with this idea of wanting peace. Everybody in here probably wants peace to happen. Um, we love this, this, to call Jesus the Prince of Peace because he is, that's who he is. But there's something that comes before peace. In order for any peace to exist, justice has to come. In order for us to understand justice, we need to understand what people go through and the situations that got them there, whether it was um, self-imposed problems or externally imposed problems. The first song 
um, or one of the songs that, were, that was sung today, um, to tell my story is to tell of him. When we live in homogenized communities, um, when we tell our story, a lot of people relate to that. But we're only, this is only one piece of the church. God's kingdom goes well beyond the borders of this community, well beyond the borders of this state, well beyond the borders of this country. If we only know the story of the people around us that look like us, then we're missing out on what it means um, for a just God to show up in a place that is unfamiliar to us. We need to learn about what is unjust to the people around us. If I told you a lot of my story, many of you wouldn't believe it. Some of you, uh, including my parents, probably haven't heard a lot of the things that I've experienced. Flip side, I know that I haven't heard all the things that they've experienced. I was shocked a couple of years ago. Um, we had just taken some of our young people um, on a civil rights tour throughout a few places to Selma, Birmingham, Montgomery, uh, Griffin, well, Atlanta, Georgia, and then we stopped in Knoxville, Tennessee to hang out with my family before we drove back home the next day. I was blown away when my dad said, the reason we left and moved into the house that we live in currently is because there was a cross burning in our yard. Blew me away. So I know there's so much more that I need to learn from them. But again, if we told our stories, it would tell of him, but not everybody would believe it. If you told your story, how many people would believe it? If these beautiful kids from Haiti knew and told their stories, it would tell of him. It would tell of a just God who says, I am the Savior, not you. Your job may have been to pull them out of Haiti into a life here, but you're not their Savior. Our jobs may be to invest in the lives of the people around us. Um, the Nepali kids, the uh, Congolese kids, the Hispanic kids from multiple uh, countries in Central and South America. Our jobs are to show up for them um, and remind them that your job is to love God with everything that you've got and to love your neighbor as yourself. But your neighbors don't always look like you. They don't always know the same language that you know. Uh, and for those of you that are listening, um, if you haven't noticed, the United States does not have an official language So please know that our jobs and what we've understood this nation to be may be very different to the people that, that don't look like you. Um, Chloe mentioned that, that you know, oftentimes my job is to elevate others' voices. Uh, and that's exactly why I brought them up here today. Um, if I'm the only one speaking, if Brock's the only one speaking, if Mark Zimmerman's the only one speaking, and not giving other people the opportunity to lead, um, 
then we're doing a disservice to the people around us, and we're doing a disservice to this king who gave us all the ability to lead out in some way. So, Brock, I'm going to call you up for just a moment, if you don't mind to join us. Is there anything on your heart that you want to ask us that we haven't mentioned? Uh, yeah, I do have a question. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I think, obviously one of our struggles here at our church when it comes to diversity is just our location. I mean, we're surrounded by a lot of white folks, and so it's pretty difficult for us to reach out. Um, but the question that I have, have for you all, one of the things that I think a lot of like white churches are struggling with is how, uh, how as, a, as a black man, black woman, how you can both appreciate your culture and really learn to, to own where you came from while at the same time also having a, uh, a kingdom mindset. You know, just this idea that, we're, man, we're all one in Christ Jesus. Yeah. I think to a lot of white churches, that feels like, a lot of churches that are primarily white, that feels like an imbalance. It feels like a challenge. Um, I've learned over the years that's just not true. It's one of the things you and I have talked about on the phone is trying to figure out, um, some of our Haitian children are in the room, H how do we give them a healthy appreciation for Haitian culture while also keeping their eyes open to the kingdom? And so that was one of the things that I was kind of hoping you all would address for us would be how, how, do, you know, how does owning where you came from, owning your culture actually help, help spread the gospel and expand the kingdom as opposed to trying to deny it? You know, does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. Um, one of the things that I would kind of point people to is look in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Um, and Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, um, he said this to his disciples. He says, go, you will receive the Holy Spirit. And as you do that, your job is to go out into Jerusalem Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. For context, when we see Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, in the context of where they were, Jerusalem was home, okay? Jerusalem was all the people that looked like you, thought like you, voted like you, cheered for the same football teams as you, um, that kind of thing. For me, that was East Knoxville. That was Austin East, that was all the people around me. That was my Jerusalem. Judea, they may speak the same language as you, um, but they might vote a little different. They might listen to some different songs than you. Um, they might be, uh, they might cheer for different teams from you. That, that was Fulton for me, okay? That was Fulton for me. Um, my, I had cousins that went to Fulton, but we didn't, we didn't cheer for the same team. That was a rival, okay? That was Tennessee football, Kentucky football, or whatever that is that they do, because it's not football. Um, so that's Jude Jerusalem and Judea. Samaria, though, um, when you look at the context of Samaria, sometimes they were looked, off, looked at as the as the half-breeds, as the mixed kids, um, as when those two cultures connected and came together, those were the people that you stayed away from because they weren't pure, what, they, what were deemed pure. Then it says to the ends of the earth. There's a key word in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, 
It says and. It doesn't say or. It doesn't say just Jerusalem, just Judea, just Samaria, just the ends of the earth. It's all of it. So for me, um, I grew up in East Knoxville. Um, and I heard very clearly that God wanted me to, to be exposed to life different than what I was familiar with. So when I was at Tennessee State University, um, I went to school there with about 10 other people that I graduated high school with. Um, and then classes or the people that graduated years before me, uh, at that time there were probably 40 students that went to the same high school as me that was at TSU. God said, I want something different for you um, so that I could be, have a better understanding of God's kingdom. When I went to Johnson, my mind was blown at some of the songs that they were singing, um, people clapping on one and three. I was not familiar with a lot of that stuff. Um, but again, I grew up under a black, past, black pastors and black, under, black understanding, what I thought was just black understanding of the gospel. And God blew that away from me, not only there, but he also exposed me to going to in, Native American reservations, going to different countries and seeing that, that God is much bigger than what I thought he was. Uh, and once I was exposed to um, the different cultures of that, then I was able to see that, okay, this masterpiece that God created uh, is not just one shade of, of him. Um, and so if I'm going to appreciate that, then I need to make sure that I listen to this girl from, from southern Indiana I listened to this wild child from Boca Raton, Florida, that ended up in, in, in Lexington. I listened to this uh, young man who has an incredible gift, uh, a, a brown-skinned dude that looks like me that speaks two languages. Um, and I need to listen to people like Terrell and Angela Patrick that have, a, have another history that, that I'm sort of familiar with, that I've been on the periphery of. Um, that expands my understanding of God's kingdom. And when I look at a scripture, it makes sense to me that, okay, Jerusalem and Judea are, are pretty different, but Samaria is a whole other world. And this Samaritan person showed up for somebody that hated him. And when the church didn't in that scripture, when the church didn't step up like they should have, this hated person stepped up and did what, what God called us to do. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, when me and you met at Emerald, man, it was collision course, you know, people coming from two completely different places. I mean, I'm a white kid from one of the most racist counties in the state, right? And then through God's grace, I get thrown in uh, to end up at Laura Cancer, working at the Boys and Girls Club, you know, primarily in the inner city, then end up at Emerald. And what y'all have said that really speaks to me is just, man, exposure is huge. I mean, just putting yourself in situation, it changes everything. Like when you awaken to the idea, y'all talked about that. We don't take God anywhere. He's already in those places. All we're doing, when we, you go in, when we go to Haiti, when we go, we got a group going to Water Angels today. It, it, when, whenever we do those things, all we're trying to do is get people to open their eyes to the God that's already there. That's it. We're not carrying him around. We're just saying, look, he's, already, he's, he's, he's in your eyes. He's in your heart. He's with you. He's you know, yeah. trying to expose them to those things. And so for me, that's big. And the other part of it is just fear's a liar. You know, I was taught growing up, there's certain neighborhoods. These are neighborhoods that we don't go to. These are roads you don't go down. And then 
I start working at Laura Kansler, start working at, at Emerald, and that's where our kids are. These are the neighborhoods we're in, and I'm meeting people that smell a lot like Jesus in these neighborhoods and who have character, you know, like yours. I mean, yeah. people, and, and you just, something shifts, you know. I was walking at Bricky the other day, and, uh, and I came up upon this, uh, it was like a sunglass lens that had popped out. And it was laying on the ground. And I walked past it like seven or eight times. I was just working that same loop. But I was looking down at that lens, and I thought, you know, that, that lens still works. It's just if somebody wanted to use like it still blocks the sun. If somebody wants to use it, they just had to pick it up and hold it up to their eye. But it would still work. The problem is, and the reason they left it there is because, the, the reason it's still on the ground is because the, the person, it popped out of the frame. And one of the reasons I wanted you all to come today is because I think we're pretty good at, as a church, I know we are, I'm proud of our church, I think we're really good about picking that lens up and holding it to our eyes for seasons, but I'm not sure that all of us have the right frame. I'm not sure that we all are working with the right framework, you know? And that's not a, you don't fix that today. We know that, we don't expect it, we don't, but, but it's, a, it's a start. It's, a, it, it's moving in the right direction of trying to, get, trying to get the right frame of mind so that that's not just a temporary way that we view the world through the eyes of Jesus, through the eyes of compassion, but it's consistent. It's constant. Church, if y'all would, I would ask you, uh, for my friends, hold your L's up. If you're in the room, put them up. Um, guys, we look and we listen. Thank you. Th thank you so much for your words today.